Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Paparan Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth. The legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Welcome back, episode six. <laughs> We're still alive and still kicking, ladies and gentlemen. Episode six of the Papa Ron Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, you can get this podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, Castbox. You can even get this podcast in video, not only on Spotify, but also. The YouTube channel, the Papa Ron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. Make sure on any of those platforms you follow, subscribe, you know, do all that cool stuff. Make sure you give us a flattery rate, a flattering rating, if you would, because that just, you know, it's all about that digital algorithm stuff. It's it's greatly appreciated. And of course, you can always be a part of the show. Uh, you can call or text in at 816-558-6389. Let me, let me rephrase that. You can leave a voicemail. There's no live calls because this is a pre-recorded show, so it really wouldn't make sense for you to call in live. Uh, but if you follow the program on any of the social platforms, albeit uh, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, uh, you're going to see where I'm going to be promoting what show is coming up next and who the guest is, what the topic matters are going to be. And so if you do have questions or comments, you can always, again, engage by going to 816-558-6389. Um, once again, also, I need to really quick thank Marathon Media Management, my boy Dakota Thurn and Q, otherwise known as Quentin Verlinick, uh, for always helping me out with this show on the video side and being a huge inspiration for me doing this podcast in the first place. So check out Marathon Media Management when and if you can on any of the social media platforms as well. Last week on the show, we had a really interesting topic with PTSD, my good friend Nate Meyer, uh, who is a U.S. Navy veteran was on the show and just recently after a decade came out uh, to discuss his PTSD. This is something that he's been internalizing for many, many, many years. And it was shortly after I came out with, um, you know, coming out and in, in, in open about my, uh, see, even today, even today, I still struggle saying it. it's like, I just feel the anxiety building up inside me before I even say it, but I'll, I got to say it. It was the anxiety and depression that I was diagnosed with. And so he was able to come out with his PTSD and tell his story. And uh, I really appreciate him doing so. It's been, there's been so many people that have reached out to me either through social media or by email and have said that that, re that show really resonated with them, which then inspired tonight's guest. Um, we actually were going to have my friend Joey Papura on the show, but I found out Friday night, or I'm sorry, Friday morning, he and his fiance, uh, she went into labor. And they had a baby, and and congratulations, Joey. And they weren't able to. I'm sorry. Round of applause, crowd. Thank you. Thank you. 
the crowd hasn't had enough to drink tonight, apparently. Um, they, uh, so anyway, congratulations to them. But anyway, that's why he couldn't make it onto the show. And then so a friend of mine and a sponsor of Heartland Waterfowl, uh, Katie, uh, at, over at Croft Trailer, reached out to me while we were in the Heartland Premier Charity Golf Classic and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is an emergency. This is something I really need to get back to her quick on. And so we're in the middle of the round, and I was like, yeah, what's going on? And she was like, oh, no, I didn't expect you to call me back this quick. And I was like, well, I mean, I got some time. What's up? And then she told me about her friend, and I guess she's on the board, or she's involved in some capacity with an organization called Team Fidelis. Did I pronounce that right? Fidelis. Fidelis. Dang it. See, I've already screwed up tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> Team Fidelis. And, um, and, and I had not known anything about this organization, but she said that she was involved and that there was a guy who was, you know, like yourself, and I'm going to get to you and and announce or um, uh, introducing you in just a moment. But this guy was super cool, had a really good story and would be really good to have on the podcast to talk about, you know, many of the, the mental health issues that have already been discussed on this podcast. And I said, perfect, because Joey canceled on me. I need somebody to come up for this week. She goes, I'll check with him to see if he's available. She gets right back to me and says, let's do it. And so we're doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the Papa Ron podcast, a really cool dude by the name of Daniel Brazel. Yeah. Yeah. The crowd's starting to lighten up a little bit, and they're getting after it. Congrat- or not like say congratulations. Welcome to the show, Daniel. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Um, you and I don't know each other all that well, you know, and a lot of the people that I've already had on this show, I've had relationships with. So this is a little bit new for the Papa Ron podcast, but the little that we have talked, I felt like we connected pretty quick. Um, let's start off right out of the bat. And why don't you kind of, in a nutshell, explain what Team Fidelis is. So Team Fidelis is a nonprofit organization here in the Kansas City area. And what we do is we work to prevent suicide among service members, veterans, and their families. And really, basically what that looks like is we get guys and gals out, engaged, doing different things in the community, and connect it to each other. Because that connection, that camaraderie, is what we miss the most about the military. And how did this all come about? Uh, So probably, I guess, seven or eight years ago now, uh, it's been... um, we were doing different things with different organizations and I obviously was dealing with my own issues and we realized that there was a need for us to connect with our brothers and sisters. And so we sat in the back of a bar and, you know, just like the Marine Corps got born out of a bar and said, Hey, this is what we need to do. And so that's kind of how it began. Okay. So there's kind of the broad paintbrush overview of what the organization is. Let's go back. Let's get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. So um, where are you from? Uh, originally from the Bay Area, Richmond, California. Okay. And how did you end up in Kansas City? I'm uh, guessing it has to be by way of the military, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So I got stationed here uh, and uh, ended up meeting my wife here. Okay. Uh, and so when, you know, I ended up getting medically discharged from the Marine Corps, we came back here because there's no way I was going back to California. Uh-huh. <laughs> you didn't want no part of that, huh? I want no part of that. <laughs> So, um, okay. So then let's, let's go back. So, um, how, when was it that you decided that the Marine Corps was your career path? <laughs> Funny story. <clears throat> so I actually was working at a mall and, and I was how old at the time? Um, six, 17 years old at the time. Okay. Right. Working at the mall at a sunglass hut. And, um, I wanted to date, date this girl that was working five, seven, nine. And I said, listen, you're going to go out with me. She's like, no. 
I'm like, you're not, if you don't go out with me, I'm going to go down and join the Marine Corps right now. And so she's like, I'm not going out with you. So I went down the Marine Corps. No way. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> the, I'm, you really, re, I'm trying to figure out the logic in this. So, I mean, you weren't like bluffing. You were really serious. Like, girl, if you don't do this, I'm leaving. I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. No, well, actually, I was bluffing. So I went down. I you just were got, bluffing. Okay. I was. I, I grabbed some uh, their pamphlets, like, and I came back up later. I'm like, look, you know, I showed her the pamphlets. I joined. Um, and she's like, well, I'm still not going out with you. I'm like, okay. So I went home that night. I read the pamphlets. You know, they, oh. they, they have wonderful uniform. You know, I mean. Yeah. And I was sold next morning. I walked in the Marine Corps recruiter's office and, like, signed me up. Wow. Were, did you, so, and it's really just that simple. It was, you accidentally got inspiration through some propaganda that they handed out through a recruiting office. It wasn't because, uh, you had struggles along your youth. You needed structure. You got in trouble. Was there anything like that going on in your life before 17? No, I mean, my mom was a single mom at the time, which was unusual, obviously back way back then. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I just, I was just didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I was 17 years old and I was like, I'm going to do this. And like, boom, yeah. signed up. I mean, but they, even were, at, even at 17, you're like a junior in high school, right? You're not, you're not quite a senior to be, you know, because what I guess what I'm saying is you weren't pressed to make a decision right away with what you were going to do next. No, not at all. I mean, my mother obviously wasn't had to sign for me so that I can go in the delayed entry program. Uh, and I just said, you know what? This, once I started becoming a part of that, I doubled all my classes my senior year so I could graduate wow. before my class. Wow. That is great. Did your mom have any reservations about you joining? Oh, yeah. Super. She was. She's like, go talk to the armor recruiter. Go talk to all these other people. I'm like, nope. I made my decision, you know, um, and I said, I'm joining. I, you know, I'm going to do this. I doubled, like I said, doubled all my classes. I went to Marine Corps boot camp in February, uh, graduated Marine Corps boot camp, came back and went to my prom in my dress blue uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. And was the girl still there? Oh yeah. The five, seven, nine. Yeah. 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 But the prom, I was, I just kind of was going in and outdoors with ladies. <laughs> well, no, no, no. What I'm just saying is I'm sure that once she saw you come back and decked in oh. your blues, you know, she was probably like, Whoa, you know, I'm, yeah. I don't know. I would think that most girls like that stuff. Right. Yeah. I took her on one date and that was it. That's all she got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay. So l- let me ask this because I don't know that I've asked this. What? You said you were 17. What year was that? 1988. Okay, so 88. There wasn't really any huge conflicts at that time. I mean, the, the because Reagan or Bush was president then, right? Correct. So there was the stuff going on between Bush and, and Iraq. Was there a conflict or did that come after you were entered? So it was after it was 91 or okay. 90. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember yeah. if it was 89 or 90, but I was actually yeah. 91 when that first desert storm took place. Right. So right. did you spend a, um, did you like, were you, how long were you in the, in the Marines? So I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. Okay. So like, uh, the first five years I spent deployed. So every Christmas I wasn't home. Wow. Like I was in Okinawa and then I came back from Okinawa, I was home on leave. And then I got called off a of leave to go because my unit, was going over for Operation Desert Shield. Okay. So I showed up in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I didn't have a, a ma- they gave me gear. I did. I slept on a blank mattress and they said, tomorrow you're going. And off I went to the desert. Sure. 
Did you go in with any kind of, because, so you were coming right out of high school, so you didn't have any college training. So you were basically, and I'm, you tell me if I'm wrong, because every, seems like everything is different. Every division is different. Um, you were probably in as a peon, right? Yeah. Yeah. You enter as a, as a private. So I, right. I had a contract, so um, I actually was going to uh, be infantry. Thank the Lord that that didn't happen uh, because I left early. I ended up becoming a combat engineer. Okay. So that is ultimately then what became your specialty. How did that happen? Uh, what do you mean? Well, meaning like, did you have to take any kind of special classes to get? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So you go to. So boot- tell me the pro. I guess okay. what I'm understanding is the process from the time you went in to how you kind of worked your way up through the ranks. Okay, so I kind of I went into uh, boot camps three three months. So I went to boot camp uh, for three months, and then from there I went to my specialty school out of Camp Lejeune, which was combat engineer school. So demo landmine warfare demolitions, uh, blowing stuff up building stuff and then blowing it back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I went off to my deployments to my different units. Did you know when you were uh, in boot camp, did they discuss with you what different areas of which you could focus on or did they kind of take you? Did they test you? I mean, how did they place you on where you ultimately ended up? So when you go in, you you feel you take a test called an ASVAB. So, and then basically that, is like an aptitude test for all these different things to say, okay, these are the jobs that you qualify for. Okay. This is, you know, what you can take and then you can select from there okay. or you can go an open contract and just hope you don't get made a cook, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. All right. Well, I feel like it's just important to lay down the foundation of, you know, who you were, where you came from, how did you get to the Marine Corps? Um, because ultimately you're here to talk not only about, you know, uh, PTSD, but also Team Fidelis. And we want to make sure that we're going to get into that. And we are going to get into that here in just a little bit. But obviously, uh, Daniel does have a story, his own story that deals with PTSD. Uh, It was an interesting story when he told me about it for the very first time. And he's going to dive into that. It's important that on the show that we're going to get underneath the surface and explain inside these stories, things that are not necessarily comfortable to us. So all of that is coming up next on the Papa Ron Podcast. The Papa Ron Podcast is brought to you by the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl, airing now on Sportsman's Channel. Check heartlandwaterfowl.com for airtimes. The all-new Season 9 debuts in July on Sportsman's Channel. And don't forget about the new original series on the Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel. Check it out, and don't doubt the scout. Now back to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. Don't forget to check out the home of the Papa Ron Podcast simply online at paparonradio.com. There you're going to find everything that is involved with this new venture that I've recently started and I'm excited to share with the world. And it's more than just a podcast. There's voiceover work, there's commercial production, there's radio station imaging, there's MC services. And now I just, and I've kind of teased this on a podcast a couple weeks ago. I teased this on my social media platforms, but uh, they're here very, very, very soon. I will say that uh, the Papa Ron radio show is coming to a radio station in central Missouri very soon. Uh, I can't say much more than that, but it is, it's about to happen. So you can find all that information at paparonradio.com. All right. We're back with Daniel Brazell. A, uh, you, do you say retired U.S. Marine or, I mean, cause once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine, right? So right. what is the right way of saying it? U.S. Marine. You're just, you're still a U.S. Marine. Always. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you go in, uh, at, in 1988 and you're working, right? It was 1988. 1989 is when I joined. 
Oh, it was 98. Well, I signed up in 88, 88. but I didn't go till 89. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, where, how long are you, um, inland before you go to Iraq? Uh, so we were there, we, we arrived, I want to say, I think it was September, October of 90. Uh, and so we were just preparing, we were doing, obviously doing our training. So my job as a combat engineer, so there, at that time there was actually a landmine field, right? So our job was to train to breach that minefield so that we could actually get into the country and, and mm-hmm. get to, to the Iraqi forces. And so that was my job. So when you talk about being, you know, literally in a minefield, I actually was in a minefield clearing wow. mines out. Wow. So you were literally from the time you enlisted to the time you went to the Iraq, Iraq, it was only about a year. Yep. Wow. So at this point, then you're 19, 19. Yep. Wow. Wow. And in charge in that, and that was a ton of responsibility for what, you know, what'd you call it again? An engineer, combat, engineer. combat engineer. Is that typical for someone who's 19 years old? Yeah. I mean, is it? Yeah, okay. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. So in that time that you, from the time you enlisted to the time you went to Iraq, I don't know if you can tell me this. I'm just going to ask the question anyway, because there's a lot of things the military, I feel like, don't tell us, even after the fact. Um, did you know that there was a conflict internally between the two countries? Uh, obviously, it was a fight. It was an oil fight. But did you, did, were they, was there anybody above you, your you know, officers, that were preparing you to go to Iraq for this? I mean, how much leadway did you have before you said, and preparation did you have before you went? Before I went overseas, yes, yes, zero. So, like I said, I was home on leave, didn't wasn't paying attention to anything, and they're like, "You're off of leave. Come, you got to go." I just didn't know before you went on leave if there was any preparation time before then. No, no pre- I was in Okinawa, Japan, so obviously. Oh, that's right. You said that jungle Enjoyment. environment versus desert environment, very different. Now, so, so that's the case for you. What would be the case for all your other brothers in the Marine Corps that you were? You know, and at that time, was there was there any? I guess what I'm ultimately trying to find out was before they the government sent you over to Iraq, was there any discussion of like, hey, things are getting hairy here, we need to start preparing our men to go over there, and this is what we're possibly going to see when we get there. Yeah, so there there are actually and there's different commands who have responsibilities for different areas of the, the world. And so they actually trained for that, that area. And so, uh, and you know, like 29 palms out in California is a very, obviously is a desert. And mm. uh, so they go out there and they train there with their uh, weapons and everything like that. So they kind of get used to that. Okay. Okay. So did you know what you were getting into when you got over there? Had no clue. <laughs> I was just a young kid, uh, you know, and relying really on my, 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 my leaders, my squad leader, my fire team leader mm-hmm. to kind of lead me to where I needed to be. Okay. So now you get over there and what happens? I mean, is it pretty much just uh, run of the mill? Just you, here's your order. Go, go do what you're told to do. Or did things get pretty hairy out of right, right away? So, you know, um, really we just, we spent a lot of time training, like this is what we're going to have to be doing. So these are things that you have to do. And we just trained every single day. I mean, and we were for, so forward deployed that when like they sh- shot off the scud missiles, to, we heard them going overhead, but we wow. weren't worried because we knew they were going past us. So they were, cause they were aimed towards Saudi Arabia, but we were so we were on, so we were on the, basically the point of the, the dagger, right? Mm-hmm. We're up front. So we're not worried about all of that. So where were you actually? Over there. Uh, so we were in Saudi until we deployed up to Kuwait to the border to the landmine 
warfare. So part of the land minefield. Uh-huh. What happened when you got there? Uh, so we, we, we got prepared. Uh, it's a uh, funny, uh, funny, I don't know if you call it a funny story, but uh, my, com- mean. my company commander um, calls us together. It's the night before we, we leave. And he holds up a K-bar knife, which is a Marine Corps knife. If you, You've probably seen them before. Mm-hmm. And he held it up and he goes, this is the Marine Corps. And he points to the tip and he goes, this is you. Go write your last letters home. What? Yeah. You're 19 years old when you hear this. 19 years old. Have there been any, I guess I'm not really surprised in the fact that being that it's the Marines and it's pretty, oh, how should I say it? Transparent. Um, I'm not surprised just because of other people I know who are in the core, you know, hearing stories that they say that. So that part doesn't really surprise me. Had you, but had you heard any kind of lip service, like not lip service is the wrong term. You know what I mean? Terminology, any kind of speaking of that nature before, because that's pretty bold and blunt. Yeah, no, that was for me at 19 years old was a, was a kick in the gut to say the least, uh, you know, sitting there and, uh, writing that as last letters home, you know, writing my brother who at the time, I think he was seven and Hey, you're, you're the man of the house now, if I don't come home and you know, you got to take care of mom and you know, these are things you're doing. And you know, you think about all the things that you didn't do for him. And, you know, and didn't share, you know, and then writing to comfort my mother because I'm writing basically my, you know, potentially my death letter because at that point they expected, like, I think it was my lieutenant said 75% of us were going to die in the minefield. So, you know, writing my last letter to tell my mom, you know, comfort, hey, I'm where I wanted to be. I'm doing what I wanted to do. And so if I don't come home, know that I, I die doing what I wanted to do and just really trying to comfort her at 19 years old with no life experience, really uh, trying to have that conversation. I can't imagine. So <clears throat> you write these letters, which I can only imagine the amount of emotion that you were feeling at the time of writing them. Um, they get sent, right? Yep. They get sent. So how, I guess ultimately my question is, is how soon are you able to get back to them? from the time they get the letter. How long does this dwindle and and kind of that cloud hang over their head, wondering if their son, their brother is still alive? You know, I probably say it was that week. I mean, luckily for us, it was a hundred hour war, but you know, it wasn't like we had telephones, you know, where now you have cell phones and everything like that. So it was the slow boat, you know, you put the letter in the mail, they fly it over there. So you're, when I write a letter, it's going to take four or five days just to get back to them. So, you know, it's probably about two weeks that they're wondering, you know, and they're watching the TV and, and, you know, when I get home, I hear stories that, you know, about my mom from my friends who were, she didn't leave the TV. She was watching for, to see if she saw me mm-hmm. and, you know, to make sure I was okay. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the stories that she tells you, you know, you know, about that, that two weeks? You know, um, it's really, my mother's never, honestly, never really discussed it with me. It's always been my friends or my my, my sister or my brother and just how, you know, she was just kind of devastated and just cried and didn't, because you, you have no control. You know, she had no control over, she just kind of hoped and waited mm-hmm. and waited. And that's a long time to wait. Sure. And you didn't have the ability to call. I mean, I mean, I know this was a forever, the golden ages, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel old. I mean, I remember that conflict. And so it's not like I'm a young guy by any means, but I guess the, the technology for communicating by phone, it was there, but it wasn't like it is today. 
yeah, <clears throat> there's no cell phones. And, you know, we were obviously, so going through the minefield, we have to clear the minefield so that others can get in. Mm-hmm. And then we're, you know, doing whatever other jobs we have to do after that. You know, we're blowing up different pieces of equipment and stuff like that and making sure, uh, you know, that nothing's, you know, laying around that's going to hurt any of us or that somebody's not doing something. Right. You know, and, and then, of course, then we're doing stupid stuff that we shouldn't be doing anyway. But <laughs> that's what Marines do. <laughs> Especially at 19. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that of those people, because let's go back to the reference of the knife and then him pointing to the tip of the knife and saying that this is you. Um, was it, in fact, 75% of your people that ended up dying? No, we actually smoked the you know, their minefield. I mean, we had a really good plan. So we had these, what they're called line chargers, basically. And it's just blocks of C4 attached to a rocket, right? And so they shoot the rocket out into the minefield and then it blows up and then it blows all the mines up or it pushes them to the side. And then what we had to do is get the back, get out of the back of an Amtrak, which is a, not an armored vehicle, but you know, it's a steel vehicle. And we went into the minefield, saw what mines weren't exploded, set chargers next to them, blew them. And then we'd have a tank that, with a mine plow that would go through and push through so that we can ma- actually make lanes so that they would just follow our lane into, and they would be safe. So it sounds like you guys were pretty successful. <laughs> Absolutely. Was it 100% successful? No. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, um, people, you know, you lose people. It's, it's combat. Right. That's a, a natural thing. And then, you know, we, um, we had a couple uh, Amtrak blow up and I remember, the first time we, we pulled guys into our, our, uh, our Amtrak and, you know, I reached to grab cause I was up at the front cause I was feeding the 50 cal and uh, I reached and I grabbed, um, guy and I felt wet mm. and I thought, okay, you know, I don't, and you can't see it's dark. And so, you know, you're pulling the guy in and you're pulling them over. Honestly, if they would have hit us with any kind of round, we would have been dead because we had Bangalore torpedoes. We had C4. I mean, in the middle of us, is just so much ordinance that, I mean, we would have just been pink mist if, if they'd have hit us, but I'm pulling him over this and, um, you know, I'm just bringing him in and then, and then we're going. Cause like, you can't stop, right. Cause you can't stop in the middle of a minefield because, no. you know, they can triangulate our radio signals and that's how they can drop artillery on us. So you didn't want to stop. Um, so, um, just doing that and kind of, you know, going through, I, I still remember it obviously very vividly, you know, thinking, okay, what do you got to do? And just start going through my training. Okay. What do I need to do? What, you know, if this is blood, what do I need to do you know, and, and just going through that, what do I need to do? Um, and th- that's the wonderful thing about the military. I mean, they train, 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 train. So then when it happens, you just kind of start doing it and you're not thinking instinct. Yeah. yeah. It was blood. No, it, thank God it was not blood. So oh, jeez. No, sorry, sorry. Oh, wow. No, no, it was you not. You dangled that <laughs> carrot for a while. Woo! Okay. No. Well, was, God bless that guy. Yeah. No, okay. It was not blood. Uh, uh, thankfully, you know, we lost a, um, you know, that was when the M1A1 Abrams came out. Uh, so they, everybody thought they were indestructible. And so we did lose um, to the right of us why they didn't follow us. So, again, we're making a lane. This M1A1 Abrams decides that they want to go and just make their own lane. And, you know, I watch as, you know, the mines explode underneath it and it's just kind of a boom, 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 boom. And then it, it just like lays down. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so, I mean, we obviously knew those guys were, were, were gone. And then we, they had, of course, um, 
So I'm going to give the reserves a hard time. They don't listen. They're, it's not their job. <laughs> they don't do it on a, on a regular basis. They're much better now. But um, a res- So a five-ton truck is basically just a big flatbed truck with a bunch of Marines in the back of it and follows this M1M1. And so we're on the radio like, stop, 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 stop. Uh-oh. Like, you know, so they pull up behind the M1, and thankfully, you know, they didn't, they, 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 they just sat there and were like, you're, you're done. Don't move. Like, and we couldn't go, like, obviously we have a mission, so we couldn't pull off to go get those guys. Um, and so, um, you know, that sticks with me because, you know, again, mm. if you're stuck in the middle of a minefield, yeah. you, you're kind of at the mercy of God at that point. You sure. Know? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so anyways, we got through the minefield and we peeled off and, um, you know, and we kind of fanned out so that, you know, protective and you know and then let the the infantry guys come in behind us and uh you know we sat there and we were doing that and then we started taking artillery rounds because we were on our radios saying yeah. it's okay yeah. and then we started taking artillery rounds and uh was that your first encounter with return fire no so <laughs> so funny story. not to get you off stop topic no, no, on no, another no. story but no, i was no uh so we actually um a couple nights before i think it was um Oh, no, no, it was a couple nights later. It was actually a couple nights later. Okay, no, yeah, so, so this would be your this first. This would be my first one, yeah, okay. absolutely. So what was, do you remember what you were thinking and feeling at that time? I mean, were you just like. Um, you know, it was, I, I actually, it was very comical because I watched our corpsman doc, because we don't, Marines don't have uh, uh, docs, so we, it was a Navy corpsman. And we start taking the rounds, and so we're, we're moving back to our vehicles to get out of the way. And I see Doc run, and um, he's from, you know, inner city of New York. And you see him run, and he's little, and he bangs into the side of the door of the Amtrak, and then bounces back, and then jumps forward again to get into the Amtrak. And it was just for me, it was very like comical watching him bounce off of that, yeah. and then try to get back in because he was freaking out so bad. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, that was that was pretty entertaining. So I mean, I was kind of it was weird. Yeah. Uh, so I the, the reason I asked the question is, I mean, we we hear this as civilians and friends. <laughs> of others who served regardless of what branch. And they always emphasize the training, the training, the training. You, 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 you rely on the training. But when you get into the thick and the heat of it, does the training really prepare you emotionally for what you are really seeing? I mean, there's no way to prepare for the gruesome scene of war that's really happening in front of you is there a way to really train be emotionally to 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 be able to just be hardened to it and and be able to continue moving forward do you see where i'm going with this question uh you know no i don't i think combat is is very unique in that in that aspect you have to experience it to understand it and to yeah um but i think you know what kept us all going is we're there together and that guy next to you, um, you're you fighting know. for the brother next to you. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where your focus is. And so, okay. uh, you see things and I mean, you see bodies that are, you know, distended because they're, you know, been sitting out there and mm. parts and stuff. And you're, you know, you just kind of, I don't know that, you know, the smell is very particular, yeah. but, um, you just kind of, I don't know. It's just like, okay, that's what it is. I think you're expecting it. So you see it. So I think you're just ready for it, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're really normally focused on doing other things. So that's just kind of a background when, noise. When maybe. And look, <clears throat> if I ask anything that is uncomfortable or you're not comfortable with, with answering, just tell me. Okay. But I'm, I'm a nosy guy <laughs> and I'm curious. And I think the people who are listening 
would like to know what it is that you, because ultimately this gets to where we're going eventually with the PTSD. Okay. And so helping people understand what servicemen and veterans go through, I think helps them have a better idea of what the magnitude of what PTSD is. You talked about the smell and the, the, the body parts that you see on the field. Are these your brothers or are these the bad guys or both? Uh, bad guys. I mean, we did a very good job. Um, you know, of course guys got hurt and stuff and injured, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't really our guys like it has been in the past, you know, during Mm -hmm. OIF and OEF. Uh, so we were very lucky in that, that we were just, we just, we were overwhelmingly just taking them. Uh, we weren't invading their going into their country. We're taking over a country they took over. So, uh, we had a bit of benefit there, but the smells and those things. And I think, you know, um, they stick with you. So you know, yeah. th- I mean, and those are, you know, sometimes when we're talking about PTSD is that triggers some of that stuff. Um, you know, I love the smell of carbon. I call it, car- you know, firing a weapon. Yeah. I, that's, a, it has a very distinct smell. Um, you know, there's different things, you know, you can hear, you know, you know, hearing an AK round go by your head is very distinctive to what it is. You know, I mean, you, mm-hmm. it's a whiz when you hear in- incoming rounds. Um, those are very distinctive sounds and um they stick with you. They just sure. Do. There's just stuff that you don't forget. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Um, so how long were you over there? Uh, so I was over there for probably seven months. Wow. And then we left. They basically, so we have what's called Mediterranean float. So we get back on ship. So we left for a couple months and then got back on a ship to come back. So <laughs> it was, why like, was that? Um, so we have the, the the Marine Corps has a, they have like a six month float. So we, that's part of the protection for the different areas. So we go to the Mediterranean, uh, to the Persian Gulf and we just kind of on our ship, we have a, you know, uh, what we call a Marine expeditionary unit that goes. And obviously there's the navies with us and everything like that. And so we just go to different ports training and just kind of being there in case something happens. So, so that's, that's all it was then. Yeah. Well, and it was basically ended up coming right back. I mean, it was basically to make sure that everything was okay. And how long were you there after that? Uh, well, I was in the Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf for another six months after that. But you said you came back is yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. So when I came back on the ship, that's where we were. Got it. Okay. So, okay. so you told about the very first encounter of return fire. Um, how many times did you experience that? I don't, pro- I don't. Was it a lot? I mean, not, I mean, enough, I guess I would say, you know, I remember. More times than you can count? No, probably maybe 10 times. I think maybe. I probably would lose track after four. Okay. Well, they're very, <laughs> you know, I think. So I think, did I get shot at five <laughs> times or six times? I lost track after four. Well, you just kind of, kind of get used to it. And I think, you know, some of them are very significant. Like I remember uh, Tom Zach was sitting, was leaning up against the Amtrak when we took start, when we first took mortar fire. Um, he's leaning against tra- uh, the track, taking a dump and um, start taking mortar fire. And he, it's silhouetted behind him and you just saw the poop go. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's a great story. I did not expect that to come out of your mouth. I was thinking, so. I mean, poop is gruesome, right? Like nobody likes to look at that, but that for whatever reason, that's a, that's, that's a lot funnier than what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Yeah. It's, and those are the kind of things that, I mean, that stick with you and the things that the dumb things you do. And, you know, and I think when you're in combat time is different, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I remember, um, 
Billy Joe Simone. So I was his a gunner for his, the 60 cal. So I carried, uh, the ammo and the, and his amount. And, um, the one night that we got into a firefight, um, you know, we're sitting there and we're, you know, it, you know, it, we think it's over, right? It's so nobody's shooting right mm-hmm. anymore. And then all of a sudden we hear Sergeant Cotter go, okay, guys, wake up. And I fucking, and I, excuse my language, sorry. I turned to, to Billy Joe and I'm like, did you go to sleep? He's like, no. So, but we had been awake because adrenaline jump was so hard that we had been awake the whole time, you know, staring out there. And honestly, when you're, we were out there because of the oil fires, you couldn't see very far. Yeah. So like we're waiting for something to emerge out of the darkness so that we can see that we can shoot. Um, and so, but like, it just, we seemed like we were there for like 15 minutes, Yeah. but we had been sitting there watching for, you know, a couple hours. So it was like kind of falling asleep with your eyes open. Yep. That happened to me too when I was out there. Wow. <laughs> wow. So was there at any point that like, do you have a, and, and then we're going to go to break here in just a little bit. And then I want to jump into, you know, when you eventually came home and what, what the, what transpired after that. But did you ever have a moment while you're over there? I mean, like you were in the, I mean, you're, you're firing and you're getting fired upon You're you've already talked about seeing body parts and smelling, you know, the bodies and you know, the, how, I mean, there, there's some gruesome shit was there. And it sounded like you were well prepared for it, like for the most part. But was there ever one moment where you just, the emotions got the best of you? Like something, something really significant happened that just that you emotionally weren't prepared for. And it's okay if you didn't, I'm just asking out of curiosity. No, I, you know, and I, I, and I think I didn't have one of those, like a breakdown or anything like that. And I think that that's part of you know, you, you, you kind of encapsulate all that and you kind of suck all that in because mm-hmm. one, you're not only am I a man, I'm a United States Marine. Right. And so you just know, you know, and you just hold all that in. And I think that kind of led us into, led me into why I had PTSD now. Gotcha. All right. Well, we're going to get into that. Um, I, uh, I'm so excited about having you here because you're really, really good about telling stories that are, uh, not only about the war, but even some of the comical, fun, crazy things that you found in the midst of all of the gruesomeness. So what we're about to talk about, though, is going to be the aftermath and the tough stuff that happened after he got back. Daniel Brazell, Team Fidel, this is next on the Paparon Podcast. The Paparon Podcast is brought to you by Dumar Solutions. Dumar Solutions, offering affordable chemical and PPE solutions for any industry. Automotive, industrial, manufacturing, concrete, and asphalt construction. Also offering kitchen cleaners, corrosion control, and specialty coatings. Detergents, cleaners and degreasers, laundry care, floor care, odor control, personal hygiene, and much more. Do more with Dumar. Inquire with any of your needs at DumarSolutions.com. That's D-O-M-A-R-E solutions.com. Now back to the Pupperon podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. All right, next week on the show, as I've been trying to promote for the last couple of weeks, former Kansas City Chief wide receiver Mark Richter, old friend of mine from way back in the day. He also played with the Green Bay Packers. 
He's going to be on the show. We're going to talk about a lot of different things like the new, the recent changes in the NFL, all these different players going to different teams. We're going to talk about the change in the college game with the implementation of the NIL. And then we're going to talk about Mark's story and the things that are, um, you know, that he hasn't really discussed. I don't know if he's discussed it a lot publicly, but just his transformation from being a professional athlete to now just regular life and the challenges that that was presented after essentially having to hang up the cleats. That's hopefully next week on the Papa Ron podcast. All right. Daniel Brazel, United States Marine. Served in the first conflict of Iraq, and um, you come back. You were in the service for how long? Uh, Ten years. Ten years. You eventually, you know, you come home, and it's coming home isn't what you thought it was going to be. No, so um, it it, it was. And and let me just real quick. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry for doing that. And I'm so terrible. Kelly, right? I got it right. It only took me five times to get it right. Uh, Kelly is here with you tonight. Um, and I asked if it would be okay if she sat down. She's been sitting over there off camera uh, listening to this. And and I wanted to bring you on because you're a big part of this whole story that he's about ready to tell. And so I thought it might be at some point insightful for, for Daniel's wife, Kelly, to kind of give her perspective being that she um, kind of went through this with him. So you come home and you're not ready for civilian life. No, uh, you know, I come home and it's, it's very, it's kind of weird because obviously time stops for us. So when we deploy time stops for us from where we were, but the world continues to go on right. back home. So coming home and kind of seeing everything, things have changed. Everything is gone, you know, where you just expect it to be where it was. And uh, that was probably one of the, t- one of the tough, uh, toughest things is, is coming home to that. And everybody was off moving in their own lives. You know, they weren't really concerned about what, you know, what was going on over there. But for me, you know, like I'm bringing home all that baggage and um, you know, thankfully for, you know, for us, um, we got a much better um, reception than our Vietnam uh, vet yep. our brothers and yep. sisters got uh so we so that was helpful um coming home and then you know just kind of trying to readapt to you know home life and uh you talked about things were so you weren't gone for 10 years like you were in the service for 10 years but you weren't gone from home like you had your opportunities to come home and and see things so i guess what i'm asking you said so much had changed in 10 years what what was like one or two of the biggest, most noticeable things to you that changed? Um, my view of the world, I think, compared to my friends. Okay. So, you know, uh, I went to war. I yeah, had so seen, you got now you got a whole new perspective. Absolutely different perspective about, you know, um, things that people like take for granted, you know, being able to just go to, say, just going to Casey's and getting a slice of pizza. Yeah. Simple things, you know, just little different things like that and that, like, thinking to myself, you guys have no clue what it's really like out there. Yeah. Like we live in a very plentiful society, very protected society. You know, we ha- really haven't had war on our shores. So what, you know, looking at these countries that have just been devastated by war um, and not really being able to, s- my friends not seeing that cause they're too worried about whatever, you know, they're wearing that day or whatever. Right. So uh, did it, 
so my, I don't know, did you get to listen to the last week's podcast with my buddy, Nate Meyer, who served in the United States Navy? No, I, cause I started on uh, episode one. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he said that when he got back, um, he was just angry. When he got back, he was, he was angry and he didn't know why, like, he, you know, he would get back and he and his buddies, they're like, Hey, welcome home, Nate. They go out to a restaurant or they go out to a bar and the bar owner sees that, Hey, this guy served our country and he just got home. I'm going to buy him a round of tequila shots. You know, they're all celebrating and it's not, you know, a few minutes later, he's in a conflict with somebody in the bar or, you know, somebody looked at him the wrong way and he was just constantly getting in fights and he had no fear of fighting he didn't really know why. And I guess the reason I bring that up is you talk about how your perspective has changed. You're over there. You're seeing all the shit you're going through. All your brothers are going through to provide the freedoms that we have here. And it's almost like you get back and it's like, man, you guys are taking this all for granted. Do you not realize what I just saw and what everybody went through? And you want to piss and moan about looking good in this shirt. Am I on the right track here? Is, and did you have the same anger when you got back? You know, my anger didn't. So when I first got back, I mean, it was, it was some of those things, but my anger didn't really develop until I actually got out when I got out and I was actually now a civilian. Yeah. Uh, and then my anger became, you know, I, I, I had some serious road day rage issues. I mean, I would pull people over and like try to yank them out of their car. Like, and I just couldn't control that. I just don't, I didn't really know why. And I was just, you know, super pissed off about so many things, you know, like you guys are just like, sh- you know, like shut the fuck. You don't have, yeah. no, you have no clue, you know? And yeah. so that for me, you know, and I, and it obviously it's taken me a while to get past that. But I mean, I was jumping up on people's cars and being, I was an asshole. How long did that last? <laughs> Too long. Um, <laughs> right. And we're, I want to, and I, I want to get into Kelly and, and because it, well, let's do it right now. Um, I do want an answer to that question, but how, um, were you guys married before you guys obviously were married when he went into service. You guys met while he was in the service. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so where did you meet again? Huh. Pull that Wait. microphone up just a little bit closer okay. to you if you can. We met, we met at a bar. Okay. Well, I mean like. You're making me crazy, baby. (laughs) We met in what? What town? In Kansas City. You were in Kansas City. That's right. You said you were. Okay. So how long are you guys in this or how long are you in the service while you're dating and then eventually married? Did you get married before you got out? Yeah. So we were. So how long were you together before you got married? A year and a half. Okay. Not very long because we met in ninety six. Okay. May of ninety six, and we got married in November ninety seven. Okay. Um, I know so. it's gonna be that thing tilts just Tilt, a little bit, I? so tilt it towards you. No, the, oh, down the there bottom. at the bottom, it's on a little. Amen. There you go. There, there we go. go. I just want to make sure everybody can hear okay. you. Okay. All right. So, um, how long are you married then before he gets out? What three? About three years. Probably. Three years. Yeah. How tough was that? It was a little crazy. Yeah, I bet. I wasn't, I mean, I just thought that's who he was. I didn't know that there was other things. Cause like he never spoke of when he went to war or any of that stuff. He just said, yeah, I was there. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. And I didn't push it. Yeah. And I just kind of thought, okay, well that's just who he is. And yeah, we just went along with it. Okay. So now let's go back to the original question then you're back and you do have some of these anger issues and you mentioned road rage as being one of them. How long 
does this last before you finally start realizing I need to get help or something's not right or what was the breaking point and how, so how long did it last and what was the breaking point? Um, I want to say we probably go ahead and keep talking. I'm going to fix your microphone. I'm guessing probably maybe six years. Um, it went on after getting out. Um, I think that was, um, and the breaking point I I really think is when I got fired from Lowe's for punching a guy. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that would do it. That would do it. And that's how, six that and that six years after you got out? Probably six years about after I got out. Okay. And did this have any um I can't imagine that this didn't have some sort of impact on your marriage. A big one. Yeah. I mean, we were struggling before that and he was um gotten this job and I guess some a situation had happened and he called me calm as I've ever heard him. And he's like, well, I'm coming home. And I'm like, what do you mean you're coming home? He goes, well, I got fired today. I'm like, uh, we have three kids. Yeah. You know, um, at that time, Griffin was just, our youngest was like what, maybe two at that yeah. time. And I'm like, and my oldest was kindergarten. Mm. So I'm kind of like, uh, what are we going to do? I'm like, and you're, and you're not working. I was not working. I was a stay at home mom. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. And I found out right after we were married that I was uh, diabetic. Oh. We kind of had a situation and found out that I was diabetic, and so we had that, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. So all of a sudden, we have no job. We have no insurance. I have three kids. What are yeah. we going to do? And he, I was, I didn't freak out on the phone. I waited until I got off the phone with him. He was on his way home, and then I just sat there and cried because I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. How are yeah. we going to live? And what was scary was that he was, very calm yeah he and i had never seen or heard him calm like that ever so the breaking point was that was the fight okay and so was it you talking to her was it you going into the va what what happens next uh from there so i you know i went to the va and that's where i think you know i was like okay this i was already seeing the va i was just gonna go because people talk about that they don't go they hate going to the va but they go if they have to you know but right. but this was a situation where you didn't have a choice yeah so i i you know i i had been going to the va and stuff like that and i'm like you know i need to talk because i was you know she admits i was calm. i mean i was like at peace and it was just the weirdest thing i'm like it's gonna be all right and so I don't know if that was God's grace giving me that at that time so that I didn't like flip out. Um, yeah. but I was at just at peace and then, um, went to the VA, uh, and just kind of got saw. I, I think I spent, I think a few, few, few nights in the VA, um, as an inpatient. Um, and that, that continued on and off for, for, for a little bit. Um, just trying to get me balanced, I guess, for lack so of So what, what is, if you don't mind me, and again, <laughs> I, I, I'm nosy. I'm gonna, like I told you prior to this interview, I said, I'm going to get below the surface. And you pretty much said you're an open book, but again, out of respect for both of you, if I ask something you're not comfortable with answering, by no means, you know, by all means, don't, don't feel obligated to answer. Um, you go to the VA, you're there a couple nights. I mean, is it pretty much just sit there, lay in bed, and let them push some medicine down you and just to kind of, you know, chemically balance you out? Or are they running tests? Or are they you know, having a psychiatrist come and talk to you. Like what the hell is happening when you're in the VA for two, for two nights? Uh, yeah. Um, pretty much. Uh, so like if you're on suicidal watch, which is why I was, I was, were you suicidal? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, but had, you were calm. 
You said like you everything was going to be fine. You felt like everything. So and that and, and I think that 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 that's probably something that people need to be mindful of. Um, when you're calm, when you when you have made the decision, mm. everything else right. Yeah. I'm not stressing. I'm not thinking about what. Like, you know what? This is gonna. This is it. Oh, and that's that, why you were calm. There, that calm comes in. Like, you know what? You know, they got. I got life insurance. What when you got? said calm. I was thinking like creepy calm, like this is a madman who does, who's got, you know, there's so much, you know, like there's that one that, boy, I could go, I could tell you a story right now. Um, <laughs> there's a guy I went to high school with and he was not a big guy at all. He was strong, but he wasn't like meathead strong, but he was that one guy you just did not mess with because when that, when that trigger went, like he just had this mind strength that it didn't, he could kick somebody's ass much bigger than him, much stronger than him because he was just wired differently. And his demeanor was the same way. It was just very, I thought that that's where you're going with this, but you're saying it was a calm because you were ready to be done with life. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, for her it was probably that creepy calm, but for me it was like, and that's the way I, I interpreted it. Okay. So, uh, you're on suicide watch. Go on with your story. Yeah. So, I mean, basically they're just watching you. I mean, and I basically just laid there. Um, I mean, of course they were trying to push some, some, some medications, not a big fan of medications. Um, I think the other place, but, um, I don't want, you know, I've got, I've got veteran brothers, you know, Matt, that walk around with a gallon Ziploc baggie full of meds. I'm like, that's not the answer guys. That's not the answer. So, um, I've always been kind of, you know, not really, uh, want to be medicated like that. Um, but so, you know, they, they, they can hold me for 72 hours. And so I let them have me for 72 hours and then I left. Um, but you went willingly or did you make him go? He went willingly. Kind. Yeah, he went willingly. You made him go. <laughs> I made him go. Yeah. Okay, let's just get to <laughs> I made him You go. willingly went, <laughs> yeah, but. I had hit a point where I'm like, something's. Got to give. Got to give. Yeah. Something's got to change. We cannot continue because we had three little kids. Sure. And I'm trying to take care of them. And I'm not. I can't figure out what's going on with him. Yeah. I, at that time I didn't know. Did she have any resentment towards her for that? No, I mean, she's, I mean, she's the first lady. I mean, she's been amazing. I mean, I, I, she's the reason I'm here and you know, I'll be honest with you. That's um, awesome. She, uh, so I got to a point when, at one point um, where, um, and I always told my doctor this cause I'm like, I'm a Marine. I'm like, if I'm going to take my own life, it, I'm not going to, you're not going to find me. I'm not going to be okay. So like, you know, my doctor, so I had made a plan and I had talked to my doctor and I said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I honestly, I had bought the plastic to lay down on the ground. So it was an easy cleanup. Yeah. This is how serious. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like, wow. I'm going to take all my meds with alcohol and then I'm going to shoot myself. I'm like that way I'm not coming back. I don't want to be a, you know, somebody who's in a coma for the rest of my life. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. do it right. Yeah. Um, and so she was supposed to go out of town to see her parents down in Springfield, Missouri. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, um, this is when I'm going to do it. My doctor knew when I was going to do it and everything like that. And like, like I said, plastic had everything, right? Everything that I needed. So, you know, I had the intent and uh, for some reason she didn't go. Uh, obviously we know it's God's grace. She decided not to go down to her parents' house. And so we're like, well, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch um, and, you know, just kind of, and that was when I was supposed to do it. So it just kind of fell away being with her, you know, that, that kind of just dropped away and we got home and there was 10 cops at my house because of the doctor knew it because of the doctor knew it. And so they, um, 
you know, so he had called a welfare check in on me. So now I have 10 cops in my house. So and you're probably thinking, Kelly's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Because yeah. I had no idea any of the, and it. Did you, but, and you, did you like go, oh, I shouldn't have said something to the doctor because this is what, I mean, did you, were, were you expecting to show up at home with a bunch of cops at your house? No. And it, it actually. But you knew probably when you wrote up on it, right? Well, I just was, I was surprised. I'm like, what's, what are you, why are you here? Like, cause again, at that point she had removed that from me for, by being with me. Yeah. Had, had Kelly inter- did, your it, wife. Kelly, yes. my wife did, had interrupted that thought process and everything. And so then I was in my, my front room pacing back and forth and like, they're getting ready to take me. And I'm like, you're not taking me fucking anywhere. Yeah. Like yeah. watch this. I'm like, you know, uh, so I'm pacing back and forth. So finally she calls, uh, my doctor and gets on the phone with the police and the doctor's like, Hey, take a couple, I want you to take a couple, you know, volume. I want you to just kind of chill out, but I'm pacing and the cops are telling her, Hey, he's making us nervous. And she's like, he's pacing cause you're making him nervous. Yeah. Because they didn't understand how to deal with a veteran that right. might've been in crisis. And so it could have went really badly. Had my doctor not, has she not called my doctor and my doctor intervened? Wow. Yeah. Wow, so wow, I just wow. had them, I said, I need you to be, go outside. Mm-hmm. Just hang loose for just a second to where I could get him to calm down and realize that, okay, mm-hmm. you're staying here. You're not going anywhere. And then I think his doctor, something ended up calling and conversing with them. Then they got the call saying, okay, he's okay. He's in his wife's care. You know, if anything happens and I had went out and I said, if anything happens whatsoever, you know, if anything changes, I would for sure call you. Everything is okay. And that, and it was probably, you know, maybe an hour or so, he finally kind of got centered and was like, okay, they're not taking me anywhere. And he calmed down. How long had you guys been married up to uh, at this point now? Almost 10 years. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, why are you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're going to get in trouble, man. I can tell that you love the hell out of her. And you like you literally walked into my house and said, this is the first lady. I knew right off the bat that there was mad respect and love. Um, so let's go back. You don't go see your parents. No. Was that by accident? I just, I decided I, I mean, it wasn't going to work. So it, I guess what I'm trying to say is, did you have a thought or feeling in your head or your mind that you probably shouldn't go because you're worried about what's going to happen while you're gone? Yeah. You it did. was just, there was just something that said, you know what? Just go next weekend. Gotcha. This isn't nothing important. I was just going down there to visit. And so I just called him and told him, you know what? It's not going to work out. Yeah. You know, I will bring the kids down there next weekend. So when you go to lunch, is it just you two or do the kids go with you? Nope. It was just you and I, well, Griffin, he was little at the time, okay. but yeah, it was just. So you're at lunch. I mean, you're premeditating your own death and you've just not been interrupted by your wife to go to lunch. You obviously don't know what's going on, Kelly. Yeah. What's the conversation at lunch? Are you guys just having a good time? Are you talking about deep emotional stuff that pulled you out of that thought process of doing it that day? Or is it just normal everyday discussion and just kind of, you know, husband, wife, enjoying each other's company. Yeah, it was just a regular conversation. And I think, you know, I, um, what, 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 you know, I think that's, you know, just that, that connection piece yeah, made the difference. Like she cared, she wasn't leaving, you know, she wasn't going to, you know, and it, it just made me go, okay, 
we're good. Yeah. It's the weirdest things. I mean, I've talked to veterans who, you know, were sitting at a park and said, you know, I'm just going to kill myself. And somebody walked by and waved at me and I stopped. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So cops are at your door. You get calmed down. They leave. What happens next? I basically kind of, okay, what the hell? Yeah. You know. So when you come home, I mean, you said you had the bag, the plastic, everything kind of like, was that all laid out or, or would you, would you never saw any of that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're asking what the hell, what's your, what are you, what are you replying to her with? Uh, I, I, I'm sure I, I lied about something. I'm sure. You did. Cause, yeah. Cause she didn't find out about this. What I, what we're talking about right now, tell probably a few years ago that I actually yeah, finally told her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 It might've been. Last year. I'm glad it's not it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, n- new to the Papa Ron podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, wife Kelly finds out. Uh, no. Um, okay. So, you, what happens next, though? Obviously, you've got a problem. You know you've got a problem. You know you need help. You've kind of went and seeked help through the VA. You've got a little bit of help. You know you're suicidal. There's got to be another pro- step in the process. Right. And so, that from there... I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And so I just started seeking out because I didn't know what it, what I needed. And so I started seeking out. I joined the Masons. I joined the shrine. I just started joining organizations. I started doing different things, trying to find what it was because I knew I was missing something. I just didn't know what it was. Um, and, um, and you're joining these because you're hoping you're going to meet somebody who might have something similar to what you're going through or why, why these different kind of, I, I, I didn't know. I, I, I realized now that I was looking for that camaraderie. Yes. I was looking for my battle buddies. Yeah. You know, because I got out of camp, you know, I get out, you get out of the Marine Corps and you leave, all your battle buddies are still in. And so now I'm back in Kansas City where I don't have battle buddies here. Yeah. And I don't have that support network that I can just talk to somebody and explain to them like, hey man, you know, oh yeah, I got you, bro. You know, I know you're, yep, yep, yep. Remember this and then we can have a conversation. And relieve some of that stress and that tension because they understand I don't have to like going to the VA and trying to talk to a doctor who's never been there is kind of hard. Well, yeah, I would imagine it's yeah. extremely hard. Yeah. So you, I can't, you don't feel like, cause it's, it's not, it's not just a mental, it's a feeling thing. It's, you know, it's, so it's like, I need you to feel what, so you understand what I am telling you. Yeah. I'm not just telling you words. There's so much behind that, those words, emotions and memories and, you know, just, everything um Mm -hmm. and i think it's really hard to just tell a doctor who doesn't you know is just going to write you a script anyway sure so what's what turns the corner then how how do you turn the corner and how long ago and and how long after the episode of where you you know go to lunch with your wife how long does it take before you actually figure it out and turn the corner? I think it takes us, it takes me probably another year, year and a half. Okay. Um, that I start going through these things and then I start realizing like, um, I start having more connections with, with, with other brother veterans. And, um, I start talking about what things that I've done to get to where I'm at. And they're like, Oh really? And so I start to help them and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. This feels good. Yeah. I'm helping my brothers. Now I have purpose again in my life. Yeah. Like I'm helping my brother. This is what it's about. This is what I'm, you know, and I don't know that I knew that it was that camaraderie. I don't, didn't know that it was the purpose. I just felt good about what I was doing. So I'm like, keep doing that. Right. So I just kept doing that. And then that's kind of where 
uh, Team Fidelis um, evolved out of. So Kelly, I'm, my question for you then is from that day, I, because that, I mean, that's a monumental day, the day that you guys go to lunch. And because then he's like seeking out, he's joining all these different organizations. Are you seeing the, and it, you said it was about a year after that day. Yeah. So are you seeing within that year after that particular event that he's making baby steps in, in finding himself? I'm sure there's draw. I mean, everybody has their days when he yeah. probably fell backwards. Right. And yeah. so I'm sure that happens, but are you seeing progress in that year? Yes. I'm seeing things. And so like he was saying, you know, he was joining these different things. And so I thought, okay, he was happy. He was mm. enjoying it. And then all of a sudden something would trigger, would trigger something yeah. like that. Well, then he'd move on. He'd try something else and he was doing that. And Whatever he did, whatever organization he wanted to do, whatever, I was there 100%. I'm like, whatever it is, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do it together. We're going to do. And I think the biggest thing for me was um, one of his, the doctor that I think helped him absolutely the most. Um, He finally got this connection and we were there. And I I guess he had spoken about a situation because we would fight you know, because something would happen or whatever. And, you know, as most spouses think, okay, he's being an asshole. Yeah. Well, come to find out, no, he wasn't, (laughs) you know? And so his Dr. Richie asked to speak with me. So I went in there and so he asked me, he's like, well, okay, well, you know, when you guys have a heated discussion, something happens, what happens? I said, well, I get pissed. Sure. You know? And I said, and we argue and we fight and we, he goes, you can't do that. I said, well, what do you mean I can't do that? I said, why does he get to be mad all the time? And I, you know, yeah, yeah. you just have to learn to let that happen and not respond to it because then what happens is then he's getting defensive and it just, he says it doesn't resolve anything, right? And I said, no. It's and like it just, negative energy feeding on yeah. more negative energy. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I stopped reacting yeah. to that and everything just got very calm it got very easy yeah or i shouldn't say easy but it was easier it was def- it would diffuse yes. quicker yeah. so it, i learned not to react immediately to what was happening because i'm like okay he can't i figured out he couldn't control it so yeah and i think that helped a lot so then he started trying to find his way and i'm like you know what whatever it is we're gonna do it you could see that the the guy was committed and had an effort and wanted to figure this out, you know, like that, that had, I mean, that in and of itself was showing you something. Yeah. And I, you know, and I had told him a million times, I said, you know what, when we got married, I said, it's one and done, you know, we're, it's going to take a lot for me to, to bail. And I hadn't hit that level yet. And I just kept fighting for it. Cause I'm like, I knew he was in there somewhere. Yeah. And I was just, I'm, just gonna hold it out what a woman gonna... what a woman tell me about it wow <laughs> kudos to you kelly thank you yeah that is awesome and i keep trying you know like some other veterans that we've met with their wives and stuff like that yeah they'll start talk, they'll talk to me about it. i'm like oh then they're done that i said you know yeah kind of have to just as hard and it is very very hard to do uh-huh. to just kind of not respond and just kind of let him have his moment have his moment and usually, you know, I said, you know, 10, 15 minutes, it'll happen. And now, granted, you know, there's still times that, you know, mm-hmm. we like, right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It's time. But I said, it, we don't have 
the intensity like it was. And so I just tried to let them know that, you know, I've been there. Yeah. I understand it. And if you need anything, you can always call me and let me know about that. Well, I'm sorry. So oh, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that I, that, um, it, it just popped in in my head when I was, we're talking about it as I was going through this and we didn't talk, maybe talk about it, but as I'm getting better, um, I had some backslides. Um, and a lot of it was because, uh, I started having the thoughts as I got better, I realized the effect I had on my family mm. and on my children. And, yeah. you know, like, what did I do to my kids? You know, did I, are, are they going to be, you know, <clears throat> have psychological problems for the rest of their lives because dad was, you know, a freak at that point, you know, I'm like a freak and I'm causing all these issues. And that really, um, that was a struggle to get through. And I mean, and that caused me to backslide quite a few times because of, so it was just guilt and shame that was kind of overcoming you then. Yeah. So, I mean, even as you're getting better yeah. now, you're aware of the things that you've done. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, it you, you're, yeah, so, it's tough. Okay. So, um, the doctor's name, Rich, you said Dr. Richie. Daryl uh-huh. Richie. Okay. Was that a, a VA doctor? It actually yes. was a VA doctor. Hey, VA. Yes. All right. Great guy. Um, and, and so that was a turning point. Was Dr. Richie then a part of you overcoming, <laughs> understanding the the shame and guilt that you were feeling as you were getting better? Absolutely. He's, he's actually a, a friend now. So he's, yeah, I bet a, <laughs> probably a really close friend. Yeah. Yes. He's not in the VA anymore. And, um, um, he's just a, he's a good guy and you know, he's, you know, we talk a lot and he's like, man, watching you from where you, he goes, you came into my office. He goes, the first time you ever met me, he goes, you paced for an hour. He goes, you never sat down. He goes, I've never had a veteran do that. Wow. He goes to where you are now. He goes, he's like, I just, he didn't, you know, he just can't fathom it, I guess. Or, yeah. And you were able to do a lot of this without med. I mean, I think you took a little bit of medication, but mostly without medication. Are you are you on any medication now? Uh, I have I have some um, meds. I have one med that likes just kind of chill me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but when I need it, um, because I think you know, for me again. Um, and if, to, to, I've said this on the show to each their own on that. You know, nobody oh here gosh. is uh, shaming uh, pharmaceuticals or anybody who's. Mm-hmm you know, on medication. That's the last thing I want. It has its place. That's the last thing I want is anybody to feel like that we're, we're saying that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that, um, you know, it does have its place, but I mean, carrying around a Ziploc bag gallon bag is probably not, not uh, maybe a little overkill. I think so too. Uh, but I think that if we don't like, we can medicate stuff, but if we don't go after the underlying problems, if I wasn't going after the issues that was under, that was causing all the issues, yeah, then we're not getting better. We're just, right covering it we're mandating it sure and and that's where i i think you know we need to make sure and that's what i did so and i still have look i still have i still have issues i still i still have things that happened to me i was you know at um the prisker museum in in um uh chicago and we were watching um i don't know if you know sebastian younger is who sebastian younger i don't so he he wrote restrepo it's about so he was embedded with them um over there and basically we were watching um a preview of his his new um documentary and uh we're just watching it and then there's some combat scenes and then they're these guys are getting lit up and then they just start lighting them up and i'm and like there's only like 20 people here right like very select people here and i'm just like fuck yeah get them and it just it had just brought me right back to like I was there again yeah. and I'm like, 
Oh Ooh. shit. You just like, said that out loud. Yeah, yeah. I, that was out loud. And, and you know, but it just that, because it was just like, I was there again and mm. I, I felt like, yeah, let's yeah. light them up. You don't shoot at, I'm like, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, that happens still. And I still have, you know, there are times that, I mean, I get that lump in that throat and, and I get chucked up on what, what's going on. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on. So it still happens and it just is normal. And it's, it just catches me off guard now. Sure. Yes. A lot. So interesting. I do want to get, we're going to get into team Fidelis in just a bit. I got one more question though. Um, you, you, you're, you're through going through all these different organizations, kind of finding your way. You, you come across Dr. Richie and you know, there's these baby steps and then there has to come a point where it was at the, the, how, how do we get to, I mean, you, you said it in the beginning where, how you got to team Fidelis, but what was it that got you from that, the point where you were to the very, just the beginning roots foundation of creating team Fidelis and then we'll, and then we'll take a break and get okay. into team Fidelis. Yeah. I think it was really when I started helping my brothers and sisters, that piece and, and realizing how, how I felt about it. I was like, man, I need to do this. This is what I need to do. This is what I've been looking for because I'm helping my brother. Again, you know, we are very connected and, and that, that connection and being like, I'm taking care of my brother. Mm-hmm. That was like, yes, I have purpose. This is exactly what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that was really for me like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to j- dive into the uh, conversation of how this thing gets started beyond than just, you know, some ideas on a bar napkin. And what this act, this organization is actually doing, how you can be involved, how you can participate, all of that stuff. It's a really cool organization, and I'm excited to hear more from Daniel about it. It's next on the Papa Ron Podcast. You're listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Keep up to date on new podcasts, new discussion topics, and future casts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Search Papa Ron Podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment. Now, back to the show. Here again is your host, Ronnie Phillips. Don't forget to check out the Papa Ron Podcast video version. It's on the uh, Papa Ron Podcast YouTube channel. If you didn't know, Spotify now is offering video versions of podcasts. You can watch what's happening right here in the studio. We are videoing this, and it looks like the red light is still on. So uh, check it out there. You can also find the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, be it uh, Amazon, Apple, CastBox, um, pretty much all of them. So all of that, thanks to Anchor. Okay, so... uh, we just got done talking about you, you know, understanding that basically you're missing the camaraderie, you're missing the brotherhood, and you are having conversation with other vet, other veterans, and they're recognizing the same problem because they have PTSD, and the thing that they need is that, you know, that that um, the camaraderie and, and the ability to talk with other people who can relate to the problems that they are having, right? So um, you talked about Team Fidelis being born in a bar, on a bar napkin, basically, <laughs> And, but were you in the bar to just, to, to create this thing or were you just sitting there having a couple drinks and you're like, you know, we should do this thing, you know, like, and, and, and where did team Fidelis come from? So no, we actually had went, a group of us had got together. And so we went out uh, specifically to kind of talk about what do we want to, what do we want to do? Where, where do we want to go? 
And um, so we sat down and, you know, we're having some food and some wings and, and, and beers and stuff. And we started talking about, like, you know, what is it that we wanted to do and how do we want to make this happen? And Were I, you a part of this, Kelly? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep, absolutely. She's been, I'm telling you. I love it. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. Uh, so we sat down and we, we started talking about, like, what it is, what is, you know, what are the things that we're missing? And then, you know, at, at that point, it was the beginning of the 22 a day, right? So that's when that people just started talking about that. And I'm like, no one's really attacking that in this area. Mm-hmm. And obviously, having had suicidal ideation, uh, going, you know, this is really something we really need to kind of identify because, you know, had for lack of Kelly staying home, I wouldn't have been there. So, uh, everybody got together and it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. And like, all right, well, what are we going to, so we kind of do what we want to do. It's like, well, what are we, we got to call it something. What are we doing? So we start throwing ideas around and obviously Semper Fidelis is the Marine Corps model means always faithful. And so we were like, you know what? And we're like, well, why don't we just use five team Fidelis? And then that way that faithful, we're faithful to those who served. Wow. Mm, that just hit me. That's so cool. Yeah. And so sorry that I'm so ignorant no, on military stuff. No. I mean, I, but, but that, that is really, really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's kind of where we've stayed, you know, our focus is, you know, taking care of each other. Yeah. Um, and because we understand each other like no one else can, and we can have conversations that no one else can. Cause I can tell you if you're doing something, I can say, Hey, stop being an asshole or, you know, put, you know, and, and be very brunt with some people and say, you know what? No, you're, you're being a, you know, um, what's the, the P word and I'm not saying, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. okay. Okay. Uh, you know, you're, you know, yeah, you know, sissy. Put on your, yeah, you're put, being, you're a, being sissy. a sissy, put on your boots, let's go. Yeah. You know, and I can say that and where other people are like, Oh, I can't believe you said that to them. Like they're in a really fragile spot. Like, no, they expect me to say that to them. Yeah. They want me to, they want somebody to tell them to get off their ass. Yeah. Interesting. So when is Team Fidelis born? So we're born that night. Uh, what year is this, though? So this is 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so then uh, 2016, we officially became a nonprofit because we're like, well, we're doing all this stuff and like people want to give us money, but we're like, we, uh, you know. Whoa. So you register for a 501c3. C3, yep. yep. And, and then become and then have to get a board. Uh, and at that point, we had met, um, you know, a lot of great individuals who came on our board of directors and kind of said, okay this is our vision. This is where we want to go. And this is what we want to do. And, you know, if we get money, wonderful. If we don't, we don't care. Cause we're, it doesn't cost anything for me to have a cup of coffee with another veteran yeah. and just talk to them. Yeah. Um, at the time that you guys originate this organization, how many people are involved? I mean, there's so many people that need help, but there's only so many people that can help at one time. So it's a baby step process, much yeah. like, you know, like anything. How many people are involved that from the from the infancy stages? So from infancy, we're I think we're probably about there's probably ten of us there, ten or twelve I think of there's us. Like, yeah, they kind of came together and kind of were like, okay, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we've grown since, and then we started. You know, we hey, you want to join our team, be a part of our team. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. Just it's about being together. And then we started just getting team members flowing into the, the organization at that point. You started with 10. Started with 10. And it's that's 2015. Yep. It's 2022 now. How many members are there? We're probably about 3,000. Unbelievable. That is awesome. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't think of this when we talked on the phone, and I'm glad Kelly's here, and I'm, I appreciate the fact that you decided and were comfortable to be a part of the show. Um, because I think that there is a wife or spouse component to this because, and you tell me if I'm wrong, 
I'm not a doctor by any means, but I'm just looking from the outside. Like, isn't it possible that a spouse can suffer from PTSD from the effects of the person having PTSD? All of this trauma and the stuff that went th- you went through and the anger and all the crazy shit that she had to experience. Isn't it possible that a spouse can suffer PTSD from dealing with that? Absolutely. Yes. They call it secondary PTSD. Okay. So that's why I think it's so cool that you're as involved in this as he is because you were talking earlier about being somebody who can speak to other spouses and relate to them with what they're going through. And I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, we talk about all the time, we as a country, you know, like when we thank our veterans or we thank our servicemen, we thank their families and their wives because they're making sacrifices too. But sometimes we don't know the magnitude of it. And I'm kind of understanding it now by having this conversation how important it is that there is somebody there for them as well. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Richie actually helped me with that because he had talked to us both at one time and he said that don't be surprised. Yeah. He goes because him himself treating sure veterans and stuff like that, he had to get help as well. And he says, you, he says, I can guarantee you're going to need to get yeah. help yourself. Were you kind of the leader on that of that deal or were there were a lot of other spouses involved of the 10? Uh, well, I, th- I would say there was three other one there. Okay. Three other spouses. Yeah, but I, I think I was, I was trying to think, I don't think anybody else was in s- service at the time, like with a veteran's wife. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly at the time, but um, it was just kind of one of those things that we had decided that day that I did not want another family to go through what we went through. Mm-hmm. I said, because it's not fair, you know, especially it's not known at that time, you know, it wasn't verbal. It wasn't out there in the open with everything that there was um, places for them to go to get help, you know, and it, for us, we went blind. We just had to figure it out on our own yeah. and go through that. And we had decided that we didn't want another veterans family to have to go through that. So mm-hmm. what we went through and the outlets and the things that we with it, we knew we had that there, so we were able to pass that on to another veteran's family. Like, are you in the VA? Do you know there's benefits for you? And I'd probably say nine times out of ten, we've run across, they didn't know that they could get help. Well, I think that's one of the things that people forget, that is when a veteran deploys, the family deploys as well. Absolutely. And, and I don't think people understand we that. Don't. Uh, we don't. I can tell you we don't. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's... And, you know, I talked about when I left, you know, time stopped for me. So, you know, think about, you know, these deployments that they're having now, you know, years and two-year deployments, you know, that service member deploys. Now mom or, you know, dad, whoever, you know, who depending on the service member, um, now has to take on additional roles. And things change at home. But for that service member, when they come home, they think they're going to walk right back into where they were. But, nah, you know, mom or dad now has all this under control and that's where we get a lot of that friction and that's where that transition piece is so important uh, because you know they've been holding down the fort while you've been out saving the world Mm -hmm. and you have to understand that things are different now okay no that totally makes sense what is some of the things that the uh, the organization does like what's the most important is it raising money is it just bringing awareness you know is it just promoting it like what is what is it that the organization needs you know do we do we just need to get the message out there because 
the organization is pretty self-sufficient on his own. I mean, you can't do something like this without the funds. I'm not trying to be ignorant to that, but um, I guess what are you guys doing to get the word out there? What are you doing to, and what, what have you done that is successful to raise funds for the organization? Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, the, my biggest thing, and it's always been awareness without action doesn't get results. So we can talk about it all day, but if we're not doing something, uh, we're not really helping. Um, so, I mean, it's fundraising wise. I mean, I think, you know, we had a golf tournament turned out really well for us. We didn't do it this year because we didn't, weren't sure what was going to happen with COVID and mm-hmm. if they were going to open things back up. Um, we do get a lot of, you know, just you know, individual donations. I mean, we yeah. don't, we don't have big grants or anything like that. Um, you know, so we always could use funds because we do, we rent out movie theaters so that just our people can go and they can feel safe and comfortable there. We've done Nerf battles so we can bring the families together. We just had a, um, barbecue at Lake Quivira. Um, so we do things to bring the families together as well. So most of our events are family friendly. Um, and just to reconnect the families together because that's so important because I know how, important she was and my kids are yeah um and that that is one of those um things that we worry about with veterans they lose that support system things tend to unravel very quickly yep um so obviously it it team fidelis starts in kansas city yes right so there's not like a this didn't team fidelis kansas city didn't come from a team fidelis chapter or the you know, national organization right this all happened right here in kansas city has it grown outside of kansas city yeah so we we have a guy up in des moines and we have a, a guy down in i know i'm gonna say it wrong i think it's hebron kentucky which is right next to cincinnati okay on the kentucky side okay uh, and they're they're per, they're really active down there doing a lot of different things down there but we can help veterans wherever they're at mm-hmm. so i had a veteran actually call me from I think he was in West Virginia. Uh, he was suicidal, got admitted to a civilian hospital and wanted to go to a VA hospital so they could under, cause they understand kind of what he was going through. Mm-hmm. And the civilian hospital was kind of playing this game because they knew they were going to get paid for having him there. And so uh, they're like, Oh, we don't have an ambulance. Oh, they don't have any spots. So we were able to call the VA cause we have a connection in uh, Virginia they sent an ambulance to go get the guy out of West Virginia and bring him back to Virginia to the oh, VA. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, we do things like that all over the United States all the time. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you said that because, I mean, you mentioned renting the theater and doing Nerf Wars. I mean, that can't be, like, a ton of money to to do something like that. So when you're raising funds like this, like, what ultimately are is the money going to? I mean, I know it's going towards helping in these individuals, but how? So, uh, and that's a good example. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so we are a hundred percent volunteer led organization right now. So nobody gets a paycheck. So we have, um, I want to say 12 veteran navigators who are responsible. So if you're a veteran, you sign up for our organization, you're assigned a veteran navigator and they send them an email every month. Just, Hey guys, we're checking in. This is what's going on for the month. If you're interested, whatever. Um, and if you're not, whatever, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but just letting them know we're here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, those veteran navigators, if somebody has like, Hey, I need a job, I have educational issues or, you know, whatever it might be, those navigators are there to help that veteran through that because, you know, suicide is a very multifaceted problem. So it's not just one thing. So if we can remove some of that stuff off of them so that they don't have to worry about that, then, you know, maybe they're not suicidal at that point. Right. So being that 
you guys, this is 100% volunteer, 501c3. You guys, you know, still got to make a living, right? So you're working jobs, I assume, then? So I'm 100% disabled from the, the, the VA. I was medically okay. discharged from the Marine Corps okay. uh, for PTSD and depression. Okay. Uh, I guess we didn't talk about that, but so. Yeah, I, though, let's I'm, talk I'm, about that real quick. Yeah. So um, we were in Denver and when um started having issues um, and concerns and uh, went and to there's a air national guard base there so went and see the, the doctor there and they're like you have ptsd and i'm like what and this was when this was 1998 eight okay you have ptsd i'm like what what's ptsd i don't know what that is they're like well is this after no this would have been before then you got fired from lowe's right yeah before, before i got fired lowe's. okay yeah okay so i'm like uh yeah they're like well like i just thought that was being a marine you know all these hyper vigilance you know all this stuff that I was doing, I'm like, I just, you know, the anger and the, you know, the, the aggressiveness, like that's just me being a Marine. They're like, no, 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 that's PTSD. So I ended up getting, um, shipped off to Balboa Naval Hospital and spent, uh, I want to say six months there. I think six months yeah. there, uh, while I went through a med board and they medically discharged me at that point. Yeah. It was right after Gabby was born. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, are you working? No. Okay. So you're, you're, well, ba- Go. I I guess I work one day a week. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not here yeah. to judge yeah. by any means. I'm just trying to understand the yeah. dynamic of how, what, ultimately what I'm trying to understand is you don't have a successful organization like this if you don't have somebody working full time on it or multiple people spending significant time, right. you know, working on it to their strengths, you know, which I'm sure you right. have that as well. So kind of share that dynamic. What is... What is the, like, how many people are involved on a daily basis? Are you guys doing this full time? How, how does that work? Yeah, so I pretty much do this. This is my my full-time job. It's my way to give back. Um, and, you know, Kelly helps out quite a bit. And then I have veteran navigators. Like, I have 12 veteran navigators. Katie's our art director, so any kind of, like. Katie from Croft Trailer, by the way. Yep. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Um, so she does that for us. Um, and, um you know, they all throw in and they all pitch in uh, as they can um, to do what they, we need to get done. Uh, it's tough. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, I think we're probably going to move to, you know, where we have to hire some people just because it's it's become so much work and we've got so many people that yeah, I we can't, I, it just can't be sustained this way. Sure, sure. What's next? <sighs> wow. Um, so, you know. Um, I didn't mean for that to be a stressful question. No, no. <laughs> You're like, um, oh, how am I going to answer this one? No. I hope that's a sigh of like, man, there's so many ideas and so much to do. I don't know how I'm going to say it all. Anyway, yeah, and then that's exactly where it is. I mean, there, right, we, 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 we have found as, you know, the more that we connect with people, there's so many opportunities for us to really do, do a little bit more work uh, and be able to reach more veterans, um, you know, but finding, you know, so finding some people out in some of these other areas, because I get calls all the time. Hey, are you in Texas? Hey, are you in Florida? What can I do to help? Where are you at? You know, um, so really maybe growing the organization. Um, but you just got to find that right person because we want them to have the same experience here that we have here in Kansas City in Dallas, Texas, or, mm-hmm. you know, Florida or wherever that might be. So that's a, that's, that's a, that's a heavy lift because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Rewarding work. Sure. A lot of work. Yeah. How does somebody get involved? Uh, really simple. Just go to teamfidelis.org slash join and you can sign up for team. It doesn't cost anything. 
you know, we don't sell your, your information or anything like that. Do you guys have like, like uh, retreats or like any kind of monthly meetings where somebody can come to a, you know, one particular location, walk in the door, you know, you know, do a yeah. meet and greet, kind of meet some people. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So we used to do a, a monthly meet and greet. Um, COVID obviously shut all that down. And so we haven't gotten back to doing that yet. Um, but we used to do a monthly meet and greet, but we have on our Facebook, all of our events. So we have events going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Like we're at celebration at the station. Um, we did the barbecue thing that was open to whoever. Um, we did the nerf thing was open to whoever. Um, so we do all these kinds of different events. We have an office in the Kansas city vet center, which is across the street from the Plaza library. Um, so, you know, we can meet people there and, mm-hmm. you know, we get a lot of re- referrals out of there from veterans who are being seen there as well. How many people in I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's going through this, maybe a bit in denial. They're being told they've got it, but they don't want to believe they got it, but they know they need some sort of help. And maybe they, they're being referred to this team Fidel's thing. Well, maybe I need to check it out. And then they go to the <clears throat> Facebook page or the website and there's a list of calendar events and says, yeah, come join the 3000 of us that are going to be at this event. That might seem a little bit overwhelming, what would you recommend maybe who's to somebody who's listening to this as an alternative to where maybe they can reach out to you or one of those 12 people or whoever it is and say, Hey, don't, don't feel overwhelmed. Let's just go grab coffee. Yep. And that's exactly what our veteran navigators do. So if you're a veteran, you sign up, you're going to get assigned one of those Okay. or you can go and there's a contact sheet. So if you sign up, if you don't want to sign up, you're, you're not sure. Like I kind of want to know what you're doing. You can fill out our information and just say, Hey, I'm not really sure what's going on. Can you, reach out to me and we get a lot of spouses, family members who reach out to us and say, Hey, my husband or my daughter or is ever is struggling and mm-hmm. I need somebody to reach out to them. And then yeah. we just call them say, okay, can we talk to them? You know? And then we have that conversation. I mean, I had a wife reach out to me about her husband. I think I shared that with you before. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So she reached out to me about her husband and I'm like, is it okay for me to call him? So she asked him. And so I called and got the phone with him after probably about an hour. The next day the wife calls me and it's like, he was crying. He was laughing. He was like, he just gets it. He just gets it. That's what he was saying about you. He was saying about me Yeah, because I was, we were just talking about, I mean, we were just having a conversation yeah. just veteran to veteran. And when he's, he's telling me, you know, like I was thinking about this and, and I'm like, Oh, and then you thought about this and then you started doing this. And then you were like, he's like, yeah, I'm like, uh huh. Yep. I know exactly. I've been there. Yeah. And that's where it's, it's interesting because I can look at, cause I've been through all that. I know where they are in their recovery. So I can pinpoint like, yep, I know exactly where you're at and then maybe help nudge them to the next level. Sure. And how often Kelly or either one of you, but I'm going to ask Kelly because she's kind of seen the other side of this. How often do the spouses reach out because they need the help? I mean, I would guess that it's probably weighted heavily towards the veterans who are or, or servicemen who are going through this. But do you get any buddy reaching out from from the other side, the spouse side? Yeah. Yep. And is um, it is it equal or is it a little bit less or? It's. I, it's I, I'm, and I'm only asking out of curiosity. It doesn't matter. Bit, it's probably a little bit less than what I like sometimes, mm-hmm. but. I'm sure they were probably like me, have no idea. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like if we're at a 5K or if we're at some event that we may be participating in, they may come up to the tent and their husband might be talking to Daniel mm-hmm. and then we'll be sitting there and I can kind of see they're kind of, and so I'll just start talking to him. Yeah. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? That's beautiful. You know, and, you know, how, 
how are things going? And like we, one of the programs we have too is um, the breathe program that Daniel set up. And it's basically if there's a veteran's family and they're just basically kind of beaten up, you know, they're struggling trying to pay or get groceries or pay their rent or pay their house payment or car is having issues or whatever it is. And they just cannot get above water. You know, um, what we'll do is sometimes like it might be the, someone in the family that might reach out or a friend or something. And we will get a gift card for a movie enough for their family, a movie and dinner. And it is just for them to go and not have to worry about anything, just kind of have a moment to yeah. themselves. Yeah. And that has seemed to help quite a few where they're just like, Good. it was amazing. We could go and just be us, yeah, be our family and not have to worry about anything. And that I really enjoy because none of that was around for us at all. And I just, and I told myself, I don't want them to have to struggle and feel alone and not feel like anybody's there to listen. Right. Because we're there and, you know, and it's a lot of times, like he said a million times, He'll just call him. He's like, hey, all right, let's just go get coffee. He didn't even drink coffee. But <laughs> most other people do. And he'll go and just let them just let them talk. Yeah. And let them say whatever they need to say. Get it out. And get it out. And I think a lot of times it's a little bit more comforting than maybe seeing a doctor. Sure. You know, sometimes because sure. they know that they've been through what they've been through. Absolutely. And it's just a lot easier. Absolutely. Stuff like that. So, so in, in the case, and, and again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to ask these questions for, I don't know who's all going to listen to this podcast, but you know, in the case that maybe somebody who's a spouse that could be hearing this and be going, you know, I could use a little bit of that. Do they reach out the same way? They go to the website, they go to the Facebook page. Do they still, do they ask for Kelly? Do they, or do, how does that work? Yeah, they can just still go to the website, do the same, the same exact same process. Thing. Yeah, and so and there's some the, the VA. I mean, I, I will give the VA credit on this. Their caregivers program, um, and they have like a coaching into care program, which helps the families coach their veteran into care. Okay. So when they're they don't want to, it's a really good program. I mean, I I, I give them mad props for that. Um, and then you know the kids as well. I mean, we are, we are, we do provide these kits uh, these impact kits to the children. So um, there's a book written by Seth Castle, I believe is his name out of Kansas. And it's, um, he wrote it and it says, uh, why is daddy so mad or why is mommy so mad? Mm. And it's about PTSD Mm. and, and you know, why, why are they so mad? And so I actually shared that with my daughters. um, What was it? Probably three years ago when we started doing those kits, I shared it with my daughters and they were like, where was this when we were young? (laughs) And so that kind of like struck me yeah. really hard. And um, so we actually give those kits away to, and it basically has a coloring book in it and it's got some crayons, a little stuffed animal. It's got that book and we give those away to the family, to the kids. Wow, that's so, that, so cool. Yeah. So that they can actually, they feel it can understand maybe a little bit better. I, you know, obviously I love what this organization does for the veterans and the serviceman, but I just got to tell you from, from an outsider, I love that it doesn't exclude the spouses and the kids. I love that you guys are so, I know too many people um, who are struggling in their relationship because they're working their way through the PTSD and the spouse is already completely removed. 
they're completely removed. They just don't get it. They just think the guy or, you know, whoever, Mm -hmm. the serviceman, the veteran is an asshole and, and they're, and they've got a guard up. They've got a guard up and they don't even want to try to understand now. And so I think it would be really cool. And it, uh, I know it's really cool that you guys are inviting those people to come in and say, Hey, I understand what you're going to on the spouse side as well. So I would just keep promoting that. And I hope that you guys do. I know you, you will, but I, you know, for whatever it's worth coming for me, I think that is a really cool dynamic to what you guys yeah, are doing. And a veteran, it, you know, like if a spouse sees us or hears this today, you know, yeah. stuff like that, you do not have to be a veteran to join Team Fidelis. Well, whatsoever. and that was another thing I was going to bring up. And even though it's called Team Fidelis, it doesn't mean it's exclusive to mm-hmm. Marines. Like, you know, oh, no. Yeah. No, so any branch, any era, um, anybody, I mean, we want, and the thing is, is we're trying to get our veterans re-engaged. So we want so, so what we call engaged citizens as well to be part of our team mm-hmm. because they bring a different, a unique perspective too. And it, and it helps that, that reintegration so that people, they can understand. And it helps the, the citizen or civilian understand what the military is going through and the military can kind of see their perspective. And it really makes a, a really great com- connection. And, you know, that networking piece is important. This is being recorded on June 8th of 2022. So in the case that somebody might be listening to this in the next couple weeks, um, do you have any big events on the way coming up? So right now, so this month is PTSD Awareness Month. That's right. Uh, I forgot to mention that. I told myself to say that and I forgot. (laughs) Darn it. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So we are, this month we're doing our commit to connect challenge. Okay. And so if you go to our website, there's a banner that says commit to connect challenge. And what we're asking is everybody knows a service member or a veteran. So we just want you to pledge that you're going to reach out to one service member or veteran in the month of June and just check on them. Do that buddy check and just, Hey, how are you doing? How's it going? Everything going okay? You don't have to ask them if they're suicidal or PTSD. Just have a conversation. Yep. Awesome. It, but is there any events that are coming up in the near future that would bring people together? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. This is, we're, it's we're, okay if you don't know. We're, but in Ju- we're in June, right? We're in June. June yeah. <laughs> uh, I so, say June yeah. 8th. Yes. <laughs> um, so the next big event we have, but it's already, it's already locked out is a father's day event at uh, worlds of fun. And Ocean okay. Of fun. Okay. All right. But, but that's just another example. You said locked out. That means that's going to be a tremendous attendance. So, just get on the website, teamfidelis.org. I screwed up by telling somebody teamfidelis.com. Don't do that. Don't make that mistake. It's <laughs> teamfidelis.org. That's F-I-D-E-L-I-S. Yeah, you get a star. I got a star. <laughs> it's the only time I won a spelling contest there. Um, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this and, and taking the time on a Wednesday night. It's already after 10 o'clock. This has turned into an hour and 40 minute podcast. Um, I dove into a lot of stuff that I know probably at times was a bit uncomfortable for you to discuss. I hope that you understand why I asked the questions, because at the end of the day, I want the topics, I want the discussion to resonate with the listener. Um, And if we can grab a few people who didn't already know about Team Fidelis um, and, and, and somehow grasp them to be involved or maybe they don't need it, but they know somebody who does that they'll, they'll spread the word. And so thank you for being so cool about answering my questions and and getting underneath the surface. Really do appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. you. Well, we're um, going to wrap up this 
podcast here in just a bit. Uh, again, thanks to Daniel Brazel, Kelly, his wife, for being here tonight. Where do you guys live, by the way? Are you? Olathe I know now. you're in Kansas City, but what part? Olathe now. Oh, you're in Olathe? So it was a little bit of a drive for you to come up to RP Enterprises here in Greenwood, Missouri. Hopefully you didn't have any trouble getting through security. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode six of the Papa Ron Podcast next. You're listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Keep up to date on new podcasts, new discussion topics, and future casts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Search Papa Ron Podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment. Now, back to the show. Here again is your host, Ronnie Phillips. As always, I want to give a big shout out to my boys, Dakota Thurn and Q from Marathon Media Management. Not only good friends who do great work on their their uh, media management company, but also a big inspiration to why I started this podcast in the first place. You will get all of that information if you listen to the very first episode of the Papa Ron podcast. Uh, and they're also very involved in providing the video to this podcast that you can find on Spotify and the Papa Ron podcast YouTube channel. As I do every show, I want to thank uh, the voice of this show, Rick Hunter, who provides all that really cool voice imaging stuff in between the segments. Uh, and then my boy Donovan, who uh, is out in San Francisco, who produced all of it to sound really cool. Uh, you can catch Donovan's show. It's an online radio station playing the music from the 80s and the top hits of other decades from at coolfmonline.com. Don't forget, next week on the show, I'm hoping it's going to work out. He had to cancel two weeks ago, but he's supposed to be in studio next week. Mark. Mark Bo Richter, former wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers, longtime friend of mine, going to be in the, in the studio to discuss what's going on with the Chiefs. So obviously, a lot of changes there. Uh, Tyreek Hill goes to the Dolphins, and new players are coming in. And, um, and there's just a lot of changes around the league, especially in the AFC West. So we'll dive into that. Also, college football is a, got, it looks completely different today than it did even just a year ago. So we'll talk about the recently implemented NIL and just what life as a pro athlete is like and what it's like as a pro athlete and what it's like after you get out and you're no longer a professional athlete. We'll get all of that from Mark Bo Richter. It'll be a great in-depth conversation. And, of course, thank you for not only um, – for tuning in, but telling your friends about it. I've got so many people who have been sharing this podcast on their social platforms and telling other people about it. It is greatly appreciated how much support this podcast has gotten because here's the thing. We're going to talk about a wide variety of topics on this show, but at the end of the day, we're going to talk about real life stuff in hopes that maybe we can help you or someone you know along the way. Thank you again, Daniel and Kelly Brazell, for being a part of the show. Thanks to my boys, Marathon Media Management. My name is Ronnie Phillips. Good night. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.